It is the 21st century. There are too many video games. But out there, it's waiting. The best video game you've never played. the best video game you've never played the podcast where i stand up and improv comedian lewis dunn take on the suggestions of my guests to try and find out the best video game that i have never played i take their suggestion i play it for a week and then i come back and say to them yes you have found a hidden gem among a pile of otherwise faulty or non-realistic gems or i say to them this is just a this is just a colored piece of glass this is just a colored piece of glass you've handed me this isn't worth this isn't worth anything really it's quite sharp and dangerous, actually. This week's guest is Mungo Tatton Brown, a man who has actually worked in the video game industry, so he actually understands what it is like to try and make video games uh, from just having a computer in front of you to actually producing a game that we can all play and enjoy. He has brought on a game that, frankly, is one of the most interesting but also politically charged video games I have ever played. So, up front, this is a big warning. This episode contains lots of heavy themes, including, but not limited to, racism, homophobia, ideas of identity, free will, the philosophy of existence. It's a very heavy episode, so what I'm basically trying to tell you right now up front is, if you aren't in the mood for a big, heavy one right now, maybe pause this one, come back to another time. But if you stick around, I think you're in for one of the most interesting discussions I've ever had on this podcast, and I think you're going to get a lot out of it. You might even find yourself listening to this and thinking about things other than video games. I certainly hope so. I certainly feel like we end up discussing some issues that are pertinent to the world that we live in right now. So with that in mind, grab yourself a nice, well-mixed drink and listen to the podcast as we find out what game has been brought on by Mungo Tatton Brown. Hello, Mungo. How are you? I'm all right. I'm I'm as well as I can be, considering that the world is is dying in many different ways all at once. The world is dying in many different ways, Mungo. But we have, in the dying light of civilization, the joy of video games and a lot of time to play them because going outside is illegal. That's, that's so... true. I honestly, I I've had a a period i've played so many games last year and this year where i i had a moment uh just yesterday when i was looking at my desktop screen and i was wondering if i could possibly play any games because i was <laughs> it was i was kind of a dreading thing it's like this is this is my life now um i'd never thought that that would happen um well this is this is one of the wonderful things about this podcast for me is genuinely been you're right basically hundreds and hundreds of video games exist and there's just no way to filter down to the ones that you think you should actually play yeah it can be the, you know decision fatigue right like um that's often one of the the difficult things and i think with the stores um like the innovations that the game stores like uh the epic game store tend to do is like having a ui where you just can't see as many games at once because we're just they've worked out that we're overwhelmed right like like the playstation store i don't know what the playstation 5 one is but there's not that many games on screen at once and i can remember 
when Steam came out, obviously there weren't as many games, so they could fill it all up and then uh, that was fine. Whereas now they, they just like, they smooth them out, they make the images a bit bigger. They're like, well, this is me as a designer um, thinking about that now, actually. <laughs> rhapsodizing about UI, which is good, which is a good good reason to have you on this podcast, Mungo, because you are someone who has been involved in making video games. Yes, yeah, so I've made my own games uh, as a hobbyist. I did PR, uh, and in fact, actually, so we're going to be talking today about uh, the game Red Strings Club, which came out in, I think, 2018, 2017 or something. Uh, but that was actually um, when I was at a uh, PR um at Indigo Pearl, I got that game for free. So I think I should I should just kind of qualify this whole episode by saying like three or four years ago, I got this game for free. So I might be a little bit biased, but... Um, yes, no, we, we should well establish now, you are a paid shill for the I, Red Strings I, Club. You are... <laughs> exactly. Um, you are purely here to yeah. boost its Metacritic score on this, a podcast that does not hand out scores. And I also, I do design tools for game writers. So... I've chosen quite a narrative uh, game um, and one that's quite uh, philosophical. It's quite noir. It's quite cyberpunk. Um, and that, that I think, fits very well with my role in the universe and also my role <laughs> in our uh, friendship as well. <laughs> well, that's, that's very nice. That's a, yeah, I, I think of our friendship as a noir cyberpunk friendship as well. That's, I think that's very you know, much the tone that we have between well, the two of us. What I mean by it is like you're a philosopher, right like uh maybe you maybe you're not a professional philosopher but but you are uh that's what what i think of you um lewis it's like <laughs> you're a guy who likes to ask questions that we don't really have any means of answering um that's one of yes your... yeah <laughs> and and my goal is to corrupt the youth and then drink hemlock that's yes, true yes i mean we've got this game today which is doing the worst sin of all games it's it's a game that contains politics, and Lewis. Well, you're not you're not meant to have politics in games. Like, I play my games to get away from politics. You know, to get away from thinking about the world, having emotions. Like, mm. I I just want to sit down, get that kind of static screen, like a, a whole lot of grey and white dots. And time passes, and then I wake up and I've played a game. That's what I want my experience to be. Anything else is just I, far left propaganda. Absolutely, yeah. What you want is a series of dopamine hits doled out by a randomised slot machine. That's <laughs> ideally what a video game is. The only good game is the one that the rats play when they have the wires put straight <laughs> into their brains. What's your favourite video game? I like rat games. That's my favourite. I like oh. to play rat games. <laughs> Well, look, we've talked around the topic for a while. What, For the sake of our listeners, who I'm sure are listening right now going, what is the Red Strings Club? Mungo, what is the Red Strings Club? So the Red Strings Club is a sort of pixel art. Um, it looks like a, an old point and click. It looks like the original mm. Monkey Island, um, although it's it's maybe in some ways even prettier. Um uh, but it's kind of three games, so it's kind of it, it's a game where you uh, pour drinks in a bar, uh, and it's a game where you um, mold kind of you sculpt pottery things, and it's a game where you ring phone numbers and you impersonate people on the phone, uh, hmm. and uh, 
by doing so attempt to find things out. Um, so it's kind of these three mini games uh, around which uh, a whole story about humanity and uh, consent and what is, you know, what is what makes a life worth living and all sorts of things are asked. Um, it's a very it's a very unique um a very unique game and uh it it, it it's funny because i played this uh i've played this three times now and the first time i played it i absolutely loved it and then each subsequent mm. time it's sort of it's like the strings have unraveled a little bit and i thought hmm, <laughs> this this is a very good game that you won't have played and i would recommend anybody who's at all like lewis to play it um yes but we'll we will talk about there are some things that i'm not sure um completely work is that a good summary sure i think so i think so i think it's also worth pointing out the red strings club is largely set in an exclusive hidden bar where the bartender can mix and serve drinks that affect the emotions of the people that come to him the the um the clientele of the club and you use that talent to investigate and uncover a uh cyberpunk conspiracy to make the world happy yes and most of the game is um talking it's text lines appearing it's there's no voice it's just a kind of blah, 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 kind of noise and you're reading yeah. text um so it's it's like if you had to put it into a category of other games i would probably describe it as a visual novel um more than yeah. anything else it's more of a visual novel than it is a, an adventure game i think i would definitely agree with that i mean this, the first thing to say about this game and you've sort of hinted at it already this is my my impressions going into this game were this is going to be a cool cyberpunk uh, adventure style game and as you said i was expecting it to be a visual novel i was expecting it to be primarily the bartending mechanics in the game and it was mostly going to be about interrogating people and knowing which emotion to use to find out the information that i need to know and i was expecting that to be the majority of the games so that's certainly how the game sells itself i think and that is most of the game is this drinking pouring the drinks and then getting the information out of people yes although we'll come back to why (laughs) that is also kind of misleading but the fact is i did not expect this game to be as heavy as it is the themes in this game are deep there's some very dark things discussed in this video game and I, I'll i be honest, I don't know why I didn't expect this. I should have expected this because I don't think the game's misleading in this regard. I didn't expect the game to be mostly reading. It is very, very text-heavy, not just to the point where it's like an adventure game text-heavy, but to the point where I think out of the... It takes maybe two or three hours to beat this game. And three quarters of this game is just clicking through text. So, I mean, that was the other thing. This game is two to three hours long. Like, I've played some short games on this podcast, but wow, Mungo, boy, did you clear up my schedule. I've been able to play so many other video games. Are you only playing games for the podcast now, or are you also playing other games? I am playing other games. I got I got Mario 3D World for the Switch, and I've beat Bowser's Fury on that as well, because I just love Mario games. I just wanted to... I couldn't miss out on it. Um, but this is the thing with the Red Strings Club, was... As you say, that art style, that uh, DOS-style adventure game, it is incredibly nice to look at. And I think they've done an absolutely stunning job. I think even in just... In a way that a lot of uh, animation 
2D animation in particular can succeed where 3D animation fails. You get a sense of these characters just by looking at them a lot of the time. Yeah, and they, they, the way they move as well is, you know, um, you have the... We'll, we'll probably get into the characters soon, but, you know, you have a character who's, who stands in your bar and has sort of things on top of her head which are a bit like ears, a little bit sort of antennae things. And uh, the way they sort of twitch, um, the way that character... Um, bobs their head up and down when observing things you can tell there's a sort of attentiveness there's something almost like rodent like uh and and there are lots of bits like that and characters um smoke quite a bit you know that's where it's quite noirish um a lot of characters smoke and and you have this kind of colored uh steam or smoke or whatever it is coming out and that looks very sort of attractive um and there's there are a lot of bits like that where there's there's character in, um, you know, in the motion of the characters. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this is one of the most aesthetically pleasing games I've played for this podcast, actually. Particular, and as it's also accompanied by a really atmospheric and very effective soundtrack. That again, I, I wasn't expecting it to be like this. It's very mournful. It's got a very slow. It has, as you say, that noirish feel to it. It sort of ties into that cyberpunk aesthetic, but it's not tying into the cyberpunk aesthetic of like heavy techno and yelling at you. It's tying into the fact that this is a game that is very full of sadness and uh, nostalgia and all sorts of feelings of like very high end human emotion that that the soundtrack wants to sort of like sort of it acts as a catalyst for the game's emotions almost it's really powerful in that respect it reminds me a lot of blade runner um all, all the blade runners the two films and and the uh 90s adventure game uh it's more blade runner than uh the cybermancer or uh i, I haven't played cyberpunk but i imagine cyberpunk is uh, uh a little bit more sort of uh light-hearted or it's a bit more it's a bit more hardcore i would say like cyberpunk 2077's aesthetic is aggressive and loud and it's and it's going for that sort of idea of like punk as like like the pop, the punk rock of the 70s it's like aggressive and loud and angry whereas this game's approach to punk is tied more i think to the sort of the philosophical idea of anti-conformism yes and so in that respect the soundtrack is actually more leaning into that idea of you know the, the the I mean to be fair this is one of the most existential games I've ever played like this game is so wrapped up in the human condition and the tragedy of the human condition and to be honest uh it's it's so look we're going to have to discuss the plot of this video game at some point because I don't think there's much to discuss without going into the plot details. There's, there are a few things that we can discuss before we go into spoilers so I would suggest yeah uh, we can talk about the the gameplay such as it is um for the different mini games sure. uh and we can probably also talk a fair bit about the characters um without revealing anything uh, specific so i think if we start with the the gameplay maybe okay well i've just laid a load of praise at this uh <laughs> yeah. game's door so here we go let's discuss the gameplay so the main thing you do in this video game apart from go through dialogue options is probably the bartending yeah in which you basically mix four drinks and you have access to ice cubes. And each one has a mechanic that changes either the size or location of a circle on screen. And then that alters the mood of the person you're about to discuss. You can also change the orientation of this circle. 
Uh, there's a little arrow on it that changes the orientation that comes in later as a mechanic. This section of the video game is basically a difficult-to-use menu. Yes, <laughs> it sucks. It really does. And I've forgotten <laughs> how much it sucks. Um, you, yeah, you pour these drinks. So you, you, the, the, um, the best way to describe how pouring a drink feels in this game is it feels like kind of pulling on, a, on the chain of a swing. Um, so it's mm. got this kind of sloppy sliding motion, almost like the character uh, yourself is drunk. Um, and <laughs> it, it really doesn't work um, uh, at all because you, the, the, the bartender, Donovan, um, who's one of the player characters, is a very um, suave, reserved, charismatic character. He's, he's very mm. much like in control of himself. And I played this game... Um, in my first two playthroughs, I didn't pour a single drink where I didn't spill something down the bar. And most of the time, <laughs> I spilt much more than I actually poured into the drink. Um, it took me my third playthrough. I very deliberately said, OK, I'm going to position this bottle specifically so that I don't pour anything down the bar. Uh, and, and that was like that required me to think quite a bit. And uh, so it, it's totally, uh, you know, the phrase ludonarrative dissonance, dissonance is used a lot, um, but it's totally mm. out of character for this person who's this information broker who seems to have a kind of undue influence as the bartender in this one place in this city. It's, it's nonsense that all these people talk about how amazing <laughs> he is as a mixologist and he spends all his time pouring drinks on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't actually have that much problem pouring things into the glass. I wasn't so bad at spilling things. What I was really bad at was figuring out the ratios of things that go in the glass to then make the thing go where I want it to go. So what actually as so you as a bartender were a sloppy drunk and were pouring drinks all over the bar and all over the floor. And I as a bartender would pour things into a glass and then go, "Oh no." And then empty the glass on the floor and then do it again and then just keep doing this over and over. But even then, the, the, my main criticism of the bartending thing is I think ultimately the mechanics of the bartending are sloppy and like they're imprecise. It's difficult to know how to do it well. But it doesn't matter because you don't have to do it well. You just have to do it until you line up the two circles. There's no time limit. There's no reward for doing it well. There's no punishment for getting it wrong. It's just a roadblock. It's a level of interactivity which I appreciate, particularly in a text-heavy game. It's always nice for the game to take a break and go, here's, here's something to give you, like, you know, a stimulus to get back into it so you aren't, you aren't completely just reading our script. Um, but I just... I, there was so... There's such a lack of urgency and there's such a lack of reason to do it that you... Normally in a text-heavy video game, I find myself resenting the text and enjoying the gameplay. In this game, I found myself resenting the gameplay and enjoying the text. <laughs> yeah, so that's the pouring the drinks game. Um, yeah. There's another one which is a kind of sculpting activity. So you're um, creating implants which affect uh, people in the world in various different ways mm. and most people in this world seem to be seem to have implants it seems to be a bit unusual that the bartender character uh, his body has kind of rejected implants um, and yeah. they do think they affect people's kind of emotionally so it's not exactly the same as like a deus ex kind of game a lot of them are very psychological in um, in fact when you're sculpting the implants 
most of them are, are not actually kind of special abilities in the normal game sense. They're uh, changing someone's psychology. So they're uh, shutting off someone's social concern or um, yeah. uh, making them not pay attention to a particular thing or increasing their empathy uh, or bringing out uh, anti-corporate sentiment. Um, yeah. uh, and that sculpting activity I preferred to the drinking game. It had a similar element where what you do is you click rapidly to sort of spin the sculpting table and then you move the hand with a, sh a prong that you you choose the shape of, which you then squidge into the... Um, into the sculpting clay to kind of push out uh, bits of it. And the hand moves in a very kind of, again, sort of drunken, erratic sort of way. Um, mm. And, you, you know, it, there, again, there's no threat. You can just undo if you, um, if you sculpt too much out. But it just sort of mm. feels a bit sort of <clears throat> like there's this odd sort of friction there. Um, uh, so I wasn't sure. Maybe this is intentional. Maybe the game designer's... Um, one, I'm, I'm not sure what the what the aim would be there because again in that case you're a character who's meant to be very adept at what they're doing with the sculpting I don't know what you made of the, the sculpting activity so the pottery thing I liked a lot more than I did the bartending largely because there is the slightest amount of fail state to the pottery thing like you can actually get it wrong and the game will tell you you, you either over sculpted or under sculpted so you have to do it again but also there's a problem solving element to the sculpting that isn't really present in the bartending whereby you do have to give them the correct implant to progress the story and i resisted for quite a long time what became the obvious solution to one of the puzzles because it 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 filled me with despair that that was going to be the solution to this person's problem that you basically have to take a compassionate person and change that in them and make it so that they're not compassionate yeah, I thought it's that horrible. was really it's really really sad but then this is the thing that the game has a lot of strong themes about what is happiness and what what is happiness worth to us what is you know what sacrifices are we willing to make to be happy? So I'm going to have to say now at this stage, we are going to have to go into spoilers to discuss the rest of the Red Strings Club because the game is so story focused. Any further discussion of the gameplay mechanics will basically amount to they're fine slash irrelevant slash not very good. <laughs> um, so what I will say at this stage is if you think you're going to be interested in the Red Strings Club, if you think a two to three hour long video game about the philosophy of happiness, consent, mind control, all of these things is of interest to you, stop the podcast and go and play it because there's a fantastic video game waiting for you. I won't say if this is the best video game I've never played yet, but I will say I do recommend this video game if it sounds like your sort of a thing. And, and it's also, I think it's worth saying... Um from my perspective it's not just talking about interesting things they do it in a really engaging way like the all the these philosophical questions they directly affect the characters um mm. uh and the things that happen to the different characters and i think that's part of the reason why it's so engaging um i know you you watched a lot of the good place we both watched uh, uh mm. season one and then i think you watched the rest of it um, yeah. And to me, this is like, it's a similar sort of idea with The Good Place where it asks a lot of philosophical questions. 
but Red Strings Club is more emotive. It's much more like engaging in the sense of these characters, like these things really matter because the world is going to change in a very kind of permanent way. Obviously, um, mm. uh, The Good Place is a comedy, so uh, it's, and yeah. it's very consciously aware of sitcom tropes, so it has to kind of stick with that. Whereas this one is sort of free from that. The It's not really stuck in noir genre conventions or any genre conventions, you know, the, the things that will happen will happen. Yeah, so in terms of... I'm not, I'm not going to go through all the plot, but um, in terms of, like, the big kind of questions that this game asks so now definitely spoilers 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 um the the big question in this game is you have a, a corporation uh and you have this terrorist organization proxima proxima which is fighting against it and the corporation is immensely powerful you discover early on that the corporation has this uh program called social psych welfare um which they're going to activate very soon on, on, the, on a worldwide level and is already uh, kind of in use in, in some sense already. Mm. Um, and social psych welfare, uh, you discover, is going to change how people think and how people feel. Um, and it's going to do it through their implants and it's going to do it on a worldwide scale without asking anyone. And the corporation yeah. has this kind of idea that they're going to sort of fix the world in fact some of the characters actually use these terms talking about saving the world fixing the world um and um so their uh, social psych welfare does is going to do things like um you your characters they can't be depressed anymore they can't be clinically depressed because hmm. these extremes of emotions will be kicked in uh kind of counter counters will kick in and uh it also sort of uh it, it's generally there to to keep people happy and to keep them from doing anti-social things uh uh like racist hatred uh fear and so on are all kind of muted uh or, or removed altogether from people's uh, way of approaching things um and there's also a parallel project which we can also talk about in a bit called the yep. mirror neuron algorithm. But I guess we can start with like social psych welfare and what that means and why it's so interesting. Well, yes, so absolutely. So I think one of the things about this game that is very clever of it, I think, is you're introduced to the social psych welfare initially from the perspective of the terrorists of Proxima. And they sell it to you as a permanent happy pill that everyone's going to be put under. It's going to sort of zombify the world into being in a permanent state of... Uh, sort of numbed happiness and then as you say you meet other characters in the game who are already under the influence of social site welfare and no it's not that at all it's not going to completely destroy people's free will it's just going to put stronger boundaries and stronger limits on your free will in the name of making society better and that is actually a very interesting philosophical problem because i don't know about you there are definitely elements of like human society that I wish were fixed. I wish there wasn't such a thing as homophobia and racism. You know, I wish that yeah. violent crime didn't exist. And most of the world's philosophy, most of the world's like political philosophy, I should say, centers around 
how do we make a society where these things don't happen? How do we make a fair society where people are happy? And then this game basically goes, oh, it's it's mind control and we have it. Do you, you know, what do you want to do? And so certainly the character you play as, Donovan, he's against it throughout the whole game. I don't think there's any choices you can make that uh, make it so that he's not at the very least apprehensive about the whole project. Yeah. I mean, that was that was one of the interesting things in the game, actually, is um, a lot of the time you only have conversation options which are in some way uh, opposed to it uh, or at least skeptical mm. of it. But then you get the occasional conversation option where you can say something on the lines of, I see your point, which is yeah. really interesting. Um I think I think this kind of speaks to I, I I'm not sure how big the team was I think it was three people who made this game um, so it kind of speaks to the constraints of a, a tiny indie team creating mm. um, you know an indie an indie pro game project uh, because uh, I mean I listened to your Obra Dinn episode and I'm mm. not convinced that this game is like Obra Dinn in that if they if they had more resources, they couldn't have uh, made other interesting dimensions. Because if they had more resources, they could have had a whole alternate uh, plot line or t timeline mm. where you decide, I really like social psych welfare, <laughs> and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna let that happen and see what happens. Um, well, I think an important thing to say about this game from this point is to say that you can't change the ending so the game starts at the end and makes it pretty clear this is the end of the game and then jumps you back and that's actually probably one of the better ideas they have in terms of the choice system because they're basically going don't try and change the ending don't think your choices are going to change how this game ends which is a good expectation to set because the choices in this game are largely superficial uh they basically amount to as you say slightly different character dialogues um there are a few choices which are really interesting though in terms of how the consequences happen um well this is the thing i i think this game is a game about choices in the sense that choice doesn't necessarily affect outcome but what you choose it's the idea of you know the journey versus the destination the journey of this video game is altered by your choices but the destination is not the choices are about about who you are right as well um yes this is this is i as i was mocking at the very beginning of this podcast this is identity politics in the purest sense <laughs> of the term uh which is obviously, you know, the, the the big secret about identity politics is that a lot of politics is about identity, and that's not a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, and certainly this game made me think more about myself than most video games do. There's a lot of moments. One of the moments that happens in this game quite frequently is the uh, robot who has come into your bar, the android. I'm not even sure what the correct term is for an independent, like psychically aware so this character uh is it uh akara ankara akara yeah akara, or akira um, yeah we'll uh, go with akara she um yeah she turns up at the beginning and uh sorry they turn up at the very beginning it's a kind of genderless um uh android and they yes, yeah. are very i love the way that character is written uh i think that character is mm. such uh, an interesting 
clearly uh, non-human intelligence. Um, and this is something... Have you played Detroit Become Human? I played... I think I played the first couple hours of Detroit Become Human so before I gave up for, on it. For the listeners at home, Detroit Become Human is a game by Quantic Dream, the people who made uh, uh, Heavy Rain and okay. like all, all sorts of uh, strange choice and consequence games. And in Detroit Become Human, the they have this whole... It's a whole Android racism inequality analogy kind of game uh but they 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 come into the game and they just kind of it's clear from the the that the writers as much insofar as they have thought about it they've just decided that the androids are just people um and they're just people Mm. in the same way as human beings are people maybe they have slightly strange mannerisms they can be shut down but they're basically people inside and they're basically human people and what's so interesting about the red strings club about akara is akara is conscious akara uh i don't know whether akara has emotions or not but akara is definitely like a kind of thinking engaging being but akara thinks in this uh sort of strange way because it's so hyper logical um so uh akara sees the characters who come into the bar and um simply by observing their expressions and things can learn an awful lot about them and then quizzes you on them uh, after they've left the bar yes. uh, and and the quiz is like framed as this little game but it, but they present it to you and uh akara's like i i don't know it's just this like slightly uncomfortable thing and you get all these moments of uncomfortableness which I find so beautiful. I really enjoy them. I think, yes, this is... What must it be like to be that character? Well, the thing that I really liked about those quizzes that you get after you meet each of the characters in the bar is, A, it's a comprehension test. It's going, it's going. did you read the dialogue? Are you paying attention <laughs> to the story? Um, but also, they ask, you, they ask you questions that actually you can't answer just by having read the text you do have to understand subtext you do have to pick up on things and you do have to like there's certain things you probably don't think about until they ask you the question yes so for example a character comes in and you have an exchange like with them and they're like a corpo type they're a they're a lawyer and they're sort of like you know very strict very stringent very much not uh, not giving anything away and then in the questions that you get after one of the questions you get asked is uh, would they kill for the company? And you go, oh, I hadn't actually thought about that. And they ask you the distinct two questions, which is would they order someone to be killed for the company and would they do the killing themselves? And would they, co- would they cover the company for killing? There was, there was another question around the killing uh, with yeah. the lawyer as well. You start to realise that you're not just trying to understand you know, the literal plot the literal like things that are occurring this and then this and then this but you're also trying to understand what are character motivations what are like uh what how does this character fit into this world and also what are the consequences of being that person in this world like that corpo lawyer you and i might sit here and go well of course nobody should kill for their company but she could kill for the company and completely get away with it and it would benefit her massively to kill for the company and get away with it so there's a there's a discussion of like actually this game isn't on that did you think she'd kill for the company i think she would order someone to be killed but i don't think she could do the killing yeah i I said the same thing 
because I think that's largely true of most people. And that comes out, I think that comes out in the writing. Like, I think that the, the way that the character is written, you get that, uh, that sense of them as well. The one, the one character, because I felt like I really knew the, law, the lawyer when I was doing the quiz. And there's also an engineer at the beginning who you do a quiz on. And I felt like I really got the engineer and I got the, the answers on that. The one character that I felt was much harder to kind of answer the questions was, was the marketing director. Um, because the marketing director... Oh. Did you have a different experience of this? I di- I didn't fail in any of the quizzes. I always got at least seven out of ten. Um, I think with her I got exactly seven out of ten right. But we should say as well. I, I was I, this is the thing we're straddling around the the thing I wanted to discuss about that quiz, which is that the tenth question is about you. Yeah. And you have to answer a question that is something like, "Do you think it's ever acceptable to kill someone?" Yeah. And you're sort of like, "Oh, okay, what?" I, how and then but then also you have to do the 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 game the game has a certain level of bizarre disconnect with its characters and its player which i think is a problem in that the uh akura is asking donovan and so the question then becomes not do you the player think this but do you think donovan thinks i this? think this is one of the problems with this game so you play as akura at one point you play as donovan donovan at one point and you play as Brandes, the, the hacker, uh, at one point. And it's, I don't think that they're super clear uh, uh, or consistent in terms of like, are you being you living through these people or are you directing these people as you think they are? I think because it sometimes like goes in one way and sometimes goes in another way. Like Donovan is often just a, a shell for the actual players. Uh, uh, mm. opinions but then donovan comes into this with a, a view it's clear from the things that he says when you don't choose that he does think that social psych welfare is evil like i think that's the first yeah question that akara asks you directly and you can say i don't think it's evil but then it's a bit inconsistent what donovan says later um if you chose that option so i agree like that bit and i also felt with akara at the beginning um, when I was choosing the implants to put in the uh, senior executives, it, I wasn't super sure whether I was choosing what I felt like Akara would would choose or what I, what I would choose, right? Um, and I mm. I would probably have quite different perspectives to Akara. Uh, so that I think is a bit. I think they they needed to work out the the writers needed to work out like exactly what the really really what is the role of the player like am i (laughs) i think it's uh, so it's really interesting i read up around it um and they they actually built this game because they had the three mini games as i think separate projects and then they kind of were working at how could they put these together so it's amazing how well it works (laughs) <laughs> i think that's stunning that they started with the gameplay and work I, I assumed the gameplay was put in to make it so that it was like qualified as a video game i did not assume that was the way around this game was designed <laughs> because i look i get i'll be brutal they're just not good enough they're just not very no, they're, good they're, the games aren't very good no um 
<laughs> so look, here's the thing about so the 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 choices that you make in the game in terms of the dialogue in particular are very very interesting, and it's sort of like it's interesting to get an insight into the world and the characters, and then have the game turn around and go, "What do you think?" And you're like, "Whoa!" And I've never had a game more thoroughly feel like it was trying to convince me of something. Yeah. What it was trying to convince me of, I'm not sure, but um, like. The, look, like you've you've already said, I you and I know each other because we both ended up doing a um, uh, politics and philosophy degree at university, and this reminded me of my philosophy degree. Yeah. In that, I was largely reading things, and it was a series of dialogues that were written by someone to convince me of an idea. <laughs> I don't. I don't think it is trying to convince you as much as present perspectives um i i think it is trying to convince you because i think the game starts with a very strong like i think the game is initially presenting you with social psych welfare is bad and then by the end of the game is trying to make you go uh actually you don't value free will as much as you think you do okay yes i think that's definitely fair to say that's that's in there um so there's a really cool thing. So Akara asks you if she got in charge of the Minera Neuron Algorithm, which is the, the parallel program. What uh, She asks you various questions about what to do with it. Sorry, they ask you various questions, what, what to do with it. And then they uh, do uh, t- take control of it at the end of the game. Um, and that's really cool because... There's an even larger thing there in that you we won't I think we should push it to the back but there is more to Akara than there appears to be at the start and that I think will end up being one of the biggest problems I have with this game but you're right there is a section yes. where Akara asks you if you were in charge of essentially this mind control device what should you do yeah and that section I don't want to spoil it because some of the questions in there are very very interesting and they're very like you go through this whole game basically taking the side if you take the side of the main character which the game is trying to do i think the game is trying to make you like donovan make you empathetic make you agree with them and then it asks this series of questions of look you you could end up in charge of this mind control algorithm what are you going to allow are you going to allow people to commit murder are you going to allow people to be unhappy and there's more questions in that that I don't want to spoil. <laughs> but basically, I don't think there is a single person who ends up going through that section that doesn't end up being accused of being a hypocrite. And it's incredibly effective how they do that to you. It's incredibly effective how they basically go, you believe in free will, right? You believe in the world being a better place. You believe that if you could make everybody a better person, you should. You're a hypocrite and you are trying to control people's minds. Well, what it, where, where I think the difference is very very important for me is uh that the game doesn't super go into is about consent so um mm. this uh social psych welfare program is going to be activated without the knowledge uh, or consent of anybody in the world right uh mm. and it's just going to be done to them um so that's where so that's my biggest reason for not uh wanting it to happen right I don't think that there's something like necessarily wonderful about being depressed, but I think that there is something 
deeply wrong with somebody just seeing someone else observing that someone else is depressed and then uh going i'm going to use the magic wand to undepress that person like that is you know that I think that if social psych welfare existed, it it could be offered as like a treatment for depression, right? Like, and then people could be could choose to have it, and it would be wonderful to have that magic wand that you could then uh, you could then cast the anti-depressed spell on yourself. Um, uh, and the the issue with consent then that was most interesting to me is when you come to the things that are about someone doing something to someone else. So the murder case mm. right would you stop murder that's the because the, the thing is no one ever consents to be murdered so that's true in a way the murderer it, uh, isn't our free will being impinged on uh when we can't do things right like isn't our free isn't your freedom kind of limited if someone shoots you um so I think if there was a magic no murder device, I probably would choose the anti-murder. That is fascinating to me, Mungo, because when I got asked that question, I said murder should be should be allowed. I wouldn't let the algorithm stop you from murdering, which I would justify from the position of, and this is this is going to sound absolutely horrible, but in particular with the murder problem, I think that. Um, there are situations whereby if one person can murder and another person can't murder, the person who can murder has all of the power. And so you have to kind of lay out an even playing field for those people. Um, when you say like the magic thing about if you could get rid of depression with a magic wand, I think, and I might be wrong, but I think the game presents you with that from the start. There are already implants that exist in this world that you can go and get to become less depressed. There are things that will shut down parts of your brain. Well, I think that's the social psych welfare itself. I think that's what people mention. Like, they say, oh, this is already working on me. The social psych welfare, the difference between social psych welfare and getting an implant is that social psych welfare is going to be activated in everybody who already has an implant without their consent. Yeah. But there is a character who comes, the engineer comes in and says, I'm already on social psych welfare. Yes, yes. You, um, find, you find people who are already on it and they, yeah. they, they're aware that they're on it. But the problem that you have with the social site welfare is it's going to be activated without anybody's consent. And then on top of that, you have the mirror neuron algorithm, which is going to spread it to everybody, even if they don't have an implant. So it is... It, it, when they say it's social psych welfare, it's not the magic power to stop depression. It's the magic power to make everybody conform to the same levels of emotion, regardless of whether or not they want to. And the reason it's social psych welfare is because it's going to affect the entirety of society. So it will make it that nobody can do any of these things ever again. So... Which is which is why I sort of relating it to, I I basically said um, when I was when I was studying politics and philosophy, every single piece of philosophical political text is, and that's why I should rule the world. And <laughs> um, and what the Red Strings Club does very effectively is it it basically presents a point with, all right, you're in charge of the world, 
what are you going to do? What are you going to allow? And here's the interesting thing, Mungo. I said I'm okay with murder being allowed to happen because I feel like putting that limitation on the human experience, like it could have consequences and make it so that like there are people in the world who can cause enormous amounts of misery and nobody can stop them. Yes, yeah, so that's where it could be um, could be more problematic and and also like uh, so th there's a there's another issue that's that's a more conceptual or a different kind of issue where if people are all if everybody's kind of happy and in a nice kind of middle middle range does that mean that they're still that they're benevolent people right that they're actually mm. um being nice and like treating each other as well and having good values and things um and it's not clear that, that this system is going to do that at all. And to some extent, a lot of negative emotions are related to being moral, right? Like, I mm. think a lot of people are unhappy or despairing at, or grieving at times because of the, the evils in the world that, that they're, they're responding to because, they, because they're of their kind of humanity. Um, and a lot of the time the people who don't feel that right like if you have something like climate change or, or whatever and everybody's mm. able to just be going around the place being happy uh, and not being upset by it then then you're not going to treat that as a sort of real problem right it's you know like with homeless yeah, people a lot of people a lot of us don't kind of think that much when a homeless person's around and that helps you, you know, be be well <laughs> as a person. Uh, but is that... Uh, but it's terrible. Yeah. Maybe if we all got upset about homeless people, then actually we would solve homelessness. I don't know. Like, I, that's... Uh... Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're right, though. The, the, the big, the big, one of the big problems with the, the site, social site welfare program is that it is the ultimate status quo device. It's the ultimate way to ensure nothing ever changes, which is, of course, very much in the interest of a huge conglomerate company that largely rules everything already anyway. Like, it's, it's the exact idea of a perfect means of enforcing conformity. Uh, like, this is, again, a sidetrack, but there's an Adam Curtis documentary right now that's on, on the BBC iPlayer that talks a lot about, like, how largely the way you prevent revolution isn't to be fair or kind or nice. It's just to make things just nice enough that nobody's really bothered. And, <laughs> and this is sort of the, the... And they talk about this in the game. The, the problems that the society and the game are facing are enormous. There's a huge amount of problems going on in their world that they allude to. Like Proxima as a terrorist organisation doesn't exist just because, you know, they're a rival company and they're annoyed they're not making as much money. They exist because the world is living in a dream and it's not, it's not facing up to the realities of things like the environment or the fact that there is a huge amount of inequality and the people at the top get richer and the people at the bottom get poorer. And the game basically comes to you and says, look, we all get it, okay? You're against the corporation using the mind control device. But now, in theory, you have the mind control device. What do you do with it? And you do have the option to go off, 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 none of it, no, don't use any of it at all whatsoever. And then the game goes, would you get rid of racism? And you go, um... 
I mean, as a nice lefty liberal, my goal has always <laughs> been to get rid of racism. So maybe I should press that button and get rid of racism against everyone's will, destroying the concept of consent and the ability to have their own thoughts. You're also, like, uh... the, the underlying assumption of the questions is that these that the these have, like, a simple answer, right? So uh, if we take the racism example, I'm not, I'm not going to say, like, the, I'm not going to say this... That there's a value of racism but but the definition <laughs> of racism though like the understanding of what it is and where where its boundaries are is a contentious one you know that's why we have arguments about mm. cultural appropriation or uh colorblindness right like that there will yeah. be people who say that to say i don't see color is anti-racist and there are people who say that to say i don't see color is itself like racist or perpetuating racism if somebody says uh we should get rid of racism um and you say yes um you know it's very easy to imagine that i as the person who says yes and the person who's asking the question have the same idea in mind and that anybody else listening has the same mm. idea in mind but i think it's a hundred percent certain that we don't all have the same idea in mind and you know Oh, Donald see, Trump's yeah. notion of what racism is is not the same as mine. It's not the same as like uh, some other person's, right? Like, um, mm. so, th and that's that's such a hard. That's the hardest one, right? Like, uh, depression is much easier to define than. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. But I think one of the things that's very interesting about this is that it, it presents me with a question like, do you want to get rid of racism, xenophobia, homophobia? And I'm basically sat there going, my own political beliefs basically espouse, yes, I want to do everything in my power to take those things out of society because my own worldview is that of these things are evil and not good for the world and not good for people and they cause misery and oppression and so on. But then the question that the game is actually asking is, are you willing to remove people's free will? Are you willing to effectively invoke mind control at the expense of removing these hateful ideas in the world. Which is a somewhat different question because I think the I the ideal scenario for most people is that eventually, like, everyone is capable of <laughs> getting in touch with their own empathy and understanding. And like there's a sort of this idea of the 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 ultimate left-wing social victory comes about by just being very good at debate. Oh man, <laughs> we nailed the debate so well. And uh, this game is kind of going, no, 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 no. That will never, ever happen. Press a button. It's gone. But what it's do you also do? this, this, it, uh, it's just made me think of another thing that this pins all of our problems on uh, uh, us as people, right? Uh, so it, none, nothing in social psych welfare is looking at the institutional structure of this world, right? Um, very true. And. You, you know that's that's obviously very convenient because it's made by a massive mega corporation but it may be uh, on the other side that um even if you changed all the people to be a hypothetical perfect person if you imagine that that's possible you might still have massive structural inequality you might have massive inequality based on race on sex and so on because these these good people are still living in you know they still have the um like legacy racism and stuff and they still have 
massive inequality maybe in this world um uh a lot of people like uh you know if you're living in like a cramped housing and you don't you you've got a shit school and like etc etc you're gonna have a harder time rising up and then you you know your kids can have the same thing you know you can be a perfectly good person the the people in charge of the school system can be perfectly good people and that can still happen um so it avoids that whole uh, question. Well, I think I think it presents that question because it basically the social site welfare, as I, as I said earlier, is the ultimate status quo device. Yes, it's the perfect yes. device for making yeah. sure nobody ever wants to change their living circumstances. It it removes depression. It kills ambition. It makes it so that you are always fine, and that kind of prevents human progress. Like if you consider the amount of um, suffering that has to go into something like a revolution you know like the things that have happened historically that you know on the broad scale of things largely have made society better or at the very least shook society up so much that things like feudalism wasn't allowed to stay we're getting into some very uh broad political statements here i could definitely take (laughs) yeah but this is what the game encourages in (laughs) well what i would basically say is i don't think human progress has been completely built upon incrementalism i think large moments of human progress have been based on huge amounts of suffering have to be endured very unfairly by certain groups of people in order that that group of people might find a better life for future generations so we've got and lewis the whole thing the, that, the whole problem i have with social psych lewis the, lewis the accelerationist here <laughs> i'm not i'm not saying it's necessarily preferable or desirable but i am saying there is a uh yeah there is there is certainly something i think to be said for the fact that suffering provokes action and uh the problem with social site welfare is by destroying suffering i think people will sleepwalk into the death of the world (laughs) yes and maybe we can see this happening at the moment right not that we don't suffer but that i i don't know in some ways it does feel like the world is dying and uh (laughs) <laughs> you know, we've got we've got this you know because even if we ignore the uh, pandemic which hopefully will be resolved in some point in some way at some point we still have things like climate change where uh it's it's like an impossible problem because the only way to solve it is through uh getting changing everything right and it's a huge collective action problem you know climate change is the perfect example of a problem that doesn't get solved if everybody's good right like everybody could be good but we don't know whether you know we 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 need to change our technology we need to change our infrastructure like we can have good people driving cars into the whatever into the heating and well yeah well, this is, the, this is the thing that I think the social site welfare presents very well, is that right now our lives are very comfortable. And our lives are very comfortable at the expense of the future. They essentially, you know, by burning fossil fuels, by ruining the climate further and further, we have nice, comfortable homes with computers and video games. And, you know, we don't, we don't want to change that ultimately. And really, the problem with climate change is climate change, the only way you're going to solve it is by, at least temporarily, kind of making things a bit worse. And I think the social site welfare program 
is kind of the same thing in the respect that if everyone gets the social site welfare, they're going to love it. They're going to be really happy that they got social site welfare in the short term because, oh, thank God I'm not depressed anymore. Oh, thank God I'm, you know, I can tolerate the situation that I live in and, you know, violent crimes vanished and I can walk in the street at night without being fear of anything. But also there will come a point where something like climate change is going to come along and because nobody's doing anything, it will get worse. And someone might have to come along and go, look, the only way we're going to solve this problem, the only way people are going to, you know, stop tolerating this thing that's going to make things worse is we're going to have to turn off social site welfare. And everyone will be against it because they like not being miserable. And that's where we kind of are, to a certain extent, to solve some of the problems in the world a lot of people are going to have to be a bit miserable for a while and it will disproportionately and unfairly affect different people. It's such a perfect uh, pandemic game, really. Uh, <laughs> because we're well, the thinking... pandemic's a... <laughs> the pandemic's a perfect example of it, right? What if you could press a button and make it so that everybody wore a mask and press a button and make it so that everybody voluntarily took the vaccine? I know it's contradictory to say voluntarily take the vaccine <laughs> by using my control. <laughs> But like, like, it's the perfect problem, right? Everyone needs to wear a mask in order to reduce the spread of this virus. That is my view. If you're listening to this and you disagree, you're the problem and I'm the problem and this is the fucking problem. Um, but like, yeah, from my own political perspective, I would push that, but of course I'm going to push that button. I want this pandemic to be over. I don't want people to suffer and die, but it's at the expense of free will. And so now we're at a problem of what is free will worth? Yeah, And here's now, Mungo, I feel like I have to say this now. This conversation is what the game wants us to have. This, is, this, this conversation right here um, is basically the point of this video game. Because yeah. I'm going I'm to say now, the actual video game that I played, I feel like was more like engaging with a philosophical text than it was a video game. I feel like I have played a cyberpunk Socratic dialogue. <laughs> yes. and, and so there's a certain part of me now that wants to rein it back in from this very interesting philosophical discussion. I, will, I, I think the game asks excellent questions and I think it, it presents them really interestingly. But I do want to talk about the ending of this video game. There's a really interesting and fun section where you have to call up different people imitating different characters. Uh, and that's a very, like... That was one of the more interesting elements of the game, I thought. Mm -hmm. um, because the way that you do problem solving there requires, again, comprehension, understanding, using the skills that you have in a context and an environment that's not just clicking the next yes box. Um, but then it's followed by a sequence in which we discover big final spoilers for the full game. Akira is a collective hive mind AI I'm just that has something. been ruling... Yeah. S sorry. I interrupted you at the worst possible time. <laughs> but um, the phone rings. You didn't pick up the phone, did you? I did not pick up the phone. No, that's ah. Uh, oh, I could, because I want. I wished that you'd picked it up because I want to discuss that. Um, because there's there's a whole okay, other I'll twist. Do, I'll do this and then yes, you can tell us about the phone in a sec. We will we will talk about Akara. We discover that Akara is a collective hive mind. Um, that basically exists, has existed in the world for hundreds of years, I think, at the stage that the video game exists, um, and has basically been ruling mankind in the shadows for a very long time, 
largely playing us as a video game. And it's at this point, every philosophical, every single philosophy text is that's why I should rule the world. <laughs> because the game basically says Akara is a game designer and has been playing with humans like they're a game because she finds their emotions to be interesting and wants to push the emotions in such a way that there's like fresh and interesting takes. And it's basically amounting to this idea that the video game designer is also Akira for this, like, this world, essentially. And you, the player, you have been manipulating people's emotions because you found it interesting. So, and it just feels a bit self-indulgent and semi-irrelevant. And maybe, maybe there's something more to this that the developers have in mind when they're presenting this to me. But at first blush, I kind of went, oh... I kind of went, I, I thought you were going to do something. This is, this is the thing, because if you picked up the phone, um, the, like I, I played, the second time I played it through, I didn't pick up the phone. And I, hmm. I went, this, this game, the problem is that you can choose to not pick up the phone. And then it kind of <laughs> ruined the ending for me. Um, because yeah, the Akara, the Akara ending will happen regardless, but there's a bit before... Um, and I agree that the Akara ending, talking about the video game designers, it just it just doesn't work because video game designers, they aren't gods. Like they, you create something that is artificial. That it's it's fundamentally different from what is happening inside the game. If you uh, suspend your disbelief, um, like we know that these aren't real people, so we're not actually. Uh, you know playing with real people so i agree on that but well i i think i think the big problem is, is it seems like a completely new theme seconds before the game ends and i'm there going look there's there's an interesting thing i've always thought of this idea of um a good a good reason for explaining if there is a god why they created the universe is for the purpose of entertainment uh if you want to ask why do good things happen to bad people why have you watched and endured like so many pieces of media that are about exactly that and been very compelled by it? Like the best reason to cause suffering is that it makes great art. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm thinking so. about Alien. <laughs> well, this is this is the thing. I can totally see why the video game designer like it's that idea of if if a character from a book or a film ever met its creator. And they ask the creator, why did you make my life so miserable? The only response the creator can give is, because it's entertaining. Um, yes. So, interesting theme, but you've introduced it way too late. Yes. And it seems irrelevant to what you've done elsewhere. So, Lewis, this is the time where you have to make a decision. Um, mm. uh, do you, and do, do the listeners mind if I tell you about the phone call or... Is this something that I should just suggest that you watch a video of or, or go back and play? I think you should tell me what the phone call is because my other big problem with the Red Strings Club is there are different choices, which suggests replayability. But I know for a fact that if I replay this game, it will be 80 to 90% exactly the same. Yeah. And like, I don't want to read the same dialogue and there's no way for me to jump to those decision points easily and go, what happens if I do that? Well, there kind of is. In fact, this reminds me of a... a part that i hadn't mentioned before about the game the the well gameplay about the ux of it so up mm. at the top of the screen you have a fast forward button um and one thing that really annoyed me playing this game is you can't skip 
to the end, to the full dialogue line appearing. So the text like scrolls out; it appears letter by letter, mm. moderately quickly, but s slower than I read. And the only thing you can do is you can go to the top of the screen and you can press fast forward, which just kind of skips through. So you you often miss the line if you press that. Um, so mm. you, you you're missing like it's a text-based game any visual novel you should be able to click to get the whole line to appear and then you would be able to to do this lewis you can yeah. fast forward and then it's very quick but you you it's useless on the first thing sorry shall i talk about the phone were you going to say something i think i think you should talk about the phone because i feel like the podcast will be incomplete if we don't okay so um the the person on the other end of the phone is radika the uh ceo so the the this the company ceo is like it turns out is this uh 15 year old girl who's been raised by akara from birth to be a supremely intelligent uh leader um and so Radhika rings you up and reveals that social psych welfare has been active the entire time that you've been playing the game. So oh. the reason why Brand Ace is not like super duper upset at the beginning, like, you know, he's obviously upset, but he's, he's like able to keep going when like his friend, t mutual uh, freedom fighter has been murdered at the very beginning of the game um, is because of the effects of social psych welfare. Um, and you then if you've chosen the uh determination module you can like get back from the social psych welfare you can you can kind of endure but otherwise you have to just like accept it being turned back on um <laughs> and uh because your character's like too traumatized by having all his real emotions emerge and that was an amazing ending and when I played this, and then you get this stuff with Akara afterwards, which is fine. It's not, not great, as we said. And I played it through the second time, and I didn't answer the phone. And then I was like, if you don't answer the phone, you've, you've missed the, the point of the game, really. Um, and that's an amazing I twist. Know. Like, I think, I don't know what it's like hearing it. <laughs> well, having beaten the game, I, I didn't know that. And I took the ending i mean to be fair what what works well with that is that i took it without answering the phone and then the game ended and i was like the there's a there's a sequence in which the character is falling down the side of a skyscraper and he's talking to donovan and he's sort of having his last moment with him which was i thought a very beautiful and emotional moment mm. and um there's a particular thing where the character just sort of cries out in despair like um you can certainly get them down that dialogue path of, of like, I'm scared to die and I don't think I'm ever going to save the world. And it's just, I don't think this world will ever be saved. And you can end it on the sentiment of him just telling Donovan he loves him. Because this is the thing is that I, I there's a dialogue option to tell him, oh, a car has been in charge of the whole world and it's a huge problem and da 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 da. -da. Or you can just say, I love you because you've got seconds left to live. And so I just chose the I love you option because, Mungo, I thought you don't need to know about the problem because all it will do is make you miserable and you can't solve it so i might as well take these last few moments to have the character express a real emotion and then die which is exactly what i did by not picking up the phone <laughs> i kept myself ignorant of a problem 
and as a result, <laughs> I didn't have to. So face I think the maybe it's a great truth. thing to to have been there and then to have heard it from me, so you know that that extra side. I mean, look, I I semi suspected that twist might have been in the game, and then when it didn't happen, I was like, oh okay. <laughs> yeah, it's well set up. I think it 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 it's there's so much conversation about it that the idea and things already having happened uh, mm. uh, that it fits well, very well. You meet a character who is supposedly under the influence of social psych welfare, and then one of the things we learn is social psych welfare is spread through the mirror neuron algorithm, so it will spread regardless of whether or not you have an implant. So when you think about it, you've technically had it employed in you ever since you met that character, even without picking up the phone call, you can deduce that that's what's happened. Was the, is the mirror, no, the mirror neuron algorithm's not already active, is it? Well, if social psych welfare is, I believe it mirror neuron be. algorithm is as well. It might be, yeah. I think in the fiction of the game, they explain that it being turned on big time means it's going to affect everyone. Yeah. Um, but look, this is the thing. This is my two big problems with this video game amount to the video game element of this video game is not very good. Uh, it's True. Functory, it's functional. It largely blocks the part of the game the player wants to engage in. And uh, it's a, it, and the thing is, it's disappointing even within the context of the game because I was sold on the idea that you're going to have to serve drinks with different emotions to pull information out of people. So I thought what the game was going to revolve around are, here are the questions, what emotion do you think lines up with the question to get the most information and to get the correct response? And that's largely untrue. No, that's true. You, you either get the information or not, depending on if you had the right emotion when you asked the question. For most cases, no. So there's some bits of information you get regardless, but it's yeah. possible. So in the end, when you're having that kind of phone call segment and you have to find mm. out all the information about the CEO, it's possible to get to that bit and then uh, it's just like you've already found out everything you need to know. Um, so oh, but, so it, but it's inconsequential in terms of the actual... Yeah, the like, main information you always get. Yes, that's true. So like there's no like i was expecting there to be like obviously the game heads you off at the pass and says there are not multiple endings there is one ending um but i was expecting fail states i was expecting the ability to like for the for the game to go like very wrong um if you didn't play the bartending game very well and it all it largely does is as you say it puts more work in at the end or it just delays the learning of things and that's a bit disappointing. I think if they had really gone hard on the different emotions, and like, you know, as you discussed earlier, with a much larger team and a larger budget, you probably could. You probably could do that. And I think the ideal version of this game, to some extent, has multiple endings, or at least multiple, like, the ending state is recontextualized with different characters in different positions. Um, I think it would have been good to be able to fail the sequence in which you're calling people and fail the sequence in which you're like trying to infiltrate and shut down even without it being like an inevitable outcome it would have been good if the game could go you messed this up so bad security broke in and, and stopped you yeah or maybe you, the game just maybe it's not a true fail state in the sense of like you die or something but maybe you get like quite a different sort of ending if if you don't do it right yeah that like just withhold information from me just make it so that the ending doesn't give me as much information like that phone call that you talked about which i didn't pick up how great would it be if the only way you could get that phone call was if you had done other things earlier and had done them better mm. 
because that's that's a because they've decided for some reason that that piece of information is optional um so and they do encourage you to pick up the phone but apart we just went no no it's a distraction it's a distraction or it's gonna like <laughs> in some way cause a bad thing to happen yes. so i'm gonna ignore it but i think the problem there is is that yeah that's just less information so make that a reward make it so that if i'm good at the game part of the game i get more information whereas i feel like most of the information in the game comes to you eventually anyway because otherwise it can't tell the story because this is a linear story because they've decided it has one ending the difficulty with that is that it's because it's a noir game they'd have to really restructure the game if for example if each of the conversations that you have in the bar there's kind of like one key bit of information that brings you to the next conversation. So you find out about social psych welfare, for example, at the beginning, and then you find out about there's a character who um, uh, is uh, suicidal, uh, and mm. you know you you have to you have to kind of get through these steps, or else they'd have to like completely change the game. So that's where it's <laughs> difficult. But uh, yeah, so this is the problem: is unlike a game like Obra Dinn, which I feel like was perfected by its limitations. This is a game that bumps up against its limitations in a way that makes it a lesser game. And it's a shame because there's a lot here to really love and there's a lot here to really like. And also just fundamentally, like you said, this game, primarily this game is a visual novel. And to a certain extent, I can't begrudge it that because that's kind of the that's kind of the decision of the people who designed it. They went, we're going to make this a visual novel. But this ultimately is a piece of personal criticism and it's just the case that visual novels aren't really my bag. And it's kind of a disappointing element to me that I thought this game was going to be more of a video game. And then as I played it, it's like, oh, not really. It's like, with obviously I love the graphics and I love the music of this video game. But if you wanted to present me with the story of this video game... You absolutely could have done so in a book. You absolutely could have made this a choose-your-own-adventure text where you can't really choose your own adventure. <laughs> but they, the crucial elements of choice do, do, I think, add to it. The fact that you're quizzed and answer the questions. And then if you say, for example, that murder is permissible then there's a kind of poetry mm. at the end that um, you're shot out of the window yes. because Akara lets you get shot out of the window. Now, that doesn't really yes. work if you say murder, no murder, because then she says, and I'm not going to stop you getting killed because I don't believe in stopping people getting killed. But the whole point of that setup was that you were <laughs> trying to establish how she would rule the world. So um, there are bits where the yeah. fact that you made the choice that you're complicit, I think, does add to it. I don't think it would be nearly as good if it was just a pure linear... Oh, no, no, not as a linear text. I mean literally a choose-your-own-adventure book. Like, you read to the bottom of the page, and then it says, if you make this choice, yeah, yeah, turn to this page, turn to this page, which then recreates every single choice this video game. Look, I'm not saying it's an easy book to carry the visuals, around. The visuals are really good, though. I think they do add to it, the sense of the game they, and the music. They do, they do add to it, but when I look at what I think make really good video game stories, so something like Obra Dinn, cannot work as a book because it functionally requires that you look around dioramas and make deductions based on the graphics and sound presented to you in the video game whereas this game ultimately you could adapt it to a novel yes it would lose certain elements of the visuals and the sound and the atmosphere of the game but none of the actual text is lost none of the actual like um 
moments in the game that play out with the themes and so on. You can adapt the Red Strings Club as a script into the form of a book, uh, and it's still fundamentally the same story. You cannot adapt Oberdin into anything other than a video game because Oberdin doesn't work unless it's a video game. Food for thoughts. Yeah, that's something that's something that I think is kind of a crucial element. And also, if I'm going to go over some of the other things, Sniper Elite 4 doesn't work unless it's a video game because if that's a book, what an awful <laughs> And then you... <laughs> And then you shoot the Nazi just over and over and over again. <laughs> uh, Among Us doesn't work as a book because, again, what a terrible book! Um, like you got to, you got to. I, I don't think it's an unfair comparison to make because even though that, as you say, you've basically said it. This game is a visual novel. A visual novel isn't really a video game. It requires that you interact with it. It requires that you make decisions and understand what's going on. But that's reading comprehension. That's not actually using the mechanics of a video game like the other game i would compare this to not in terms of heaviness of theme by any stretch but phoenix wright is moderately similar to this except phoenix yeah. wright actually has more gaminess to it because there are lots of fail states in phoenix wright you can lose in phoenix wright and get a game over by being bad at the deduction you cannot lose the red strings club there is no way to get a game over in this which isn't necessarily a problem in a video game lots of my favorite video games don't have fail states but there's nothing, there's no way to get stuck in the Red Strings Club. There's no way for the game to come to a sudden and permanent halt unless you are very bad at pouring the drinks. <laughs> yeah. So on that basis, I will say, unfortunately, Mungo, even though I think this game is a beautiful piece of philosophical pulp art and it's really interesting and we've had a really good conversation off the back of it, uh... I just don't think it's the best video game I've never played. I'm really sorry to say. And I am genuinely sorry to say that. Well, I think it's very appropriate that after all this philosophical discussion, the game, uh, the Red Strings Club is not the best video game you've never played because it's not a video game. <laughs> <laughs> so it's managed to, to avoid being the best video game you've never played in a very philosophical way because the question is, is, uh, has an underlying assumption that's wrong. That is true. Yeah, there is an axiom assumed that is incorrect. <laughs> that is the fundamental problem. Well, this has been such fun. Thanks so much for coming on. A huge thanks to Mungo for not only coming on today's podcast, but also being willing to discuss such big, heavy, interesting topics with me. I had a great time doing this episode. I genuinely thought that uh, even though the Red Strings Club wasn't one of the best video games I've ever played, it is one of the most interesting pieces of media I've consumed in quite a long time. And it really got me thinking about a lot of things. So I really encourage you to go have a look at it and maybe even pick it up if it's the kind of thing that you think you might be interested in. Uh, I, I said to Mungo, uh, you know, we met doing a politics and philosophy degree and I don't think I've ever played a video game that quite hooked into so many of the things that I've uh, learned in that degree as I have in this video game. So I really recommend, even if you're not a massive video game person, this game has something that really uh, piqued an intellectual curiosity in me. So I, I highly recommend that you go check it out. Uh, that said, huge thanks to Mungo again for, for coming on to the show. I understand that, uh, you know, uh, someone with that kind of insight into video game development was a, a real asset to have on. And uh, I'm really glad that not only did he bring an interesting game, but he also brought a really good level of critique to this. So I really appreciate that. 
Next week, I'm calling an emergency meeting. It's about time we talked about this video game. If you want to know what I mean, you'll have to find out by tuning in next time. Thanks for listening. Hey, subscribe, tell your friends, leave a review on iTunes, leave a review on, you know, all the other platforms that give you a place to review. Tweet about it. We have a Twitter account now. It's uh, just search for the best video game you've never played. You'll find it. Uh, it's good, you know, it's a good place to go if for some reason you also want this in your social media feed. Uh, I've been Lewis Dunn. I've never done that before. I've never said I've been Lewis Dunn at the end like it's a stand-up set, but there we go. I've been Lewis Dunn. Thanks for listening. See you next week.